As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. For a book nerd like myself, there is little that compares to the thrill of entering a bookstore or a library. The rows of books, the ideas of countless adventures awaiting me, I even like the smell. One trip to a bookstore that I will never forget is the first time I walked into Joseph Beth Bookstore. This particular trip will always be one that I remember for so many special reasons. Living in eastern Kentucky meant a lot of things, and as our long-term listeners know already, it meant that I grew up with a strong sense of connection to my family. Secondly, it meant that the closest bookstore to me housed maybe 200 books and was about the size of my childhood bedroom. My aunt loved reading and instilled that love in me. From a young age, she always was putting the most random and exciting books into my hands. She bought me my first Harry Potter set. She made sure that I fell in love with reading over and over again. When I was probably about eight or nine, she planned my first trip to a big bookstore. She packed me, my mom, and my mammy into her Ford, and we set off from Pikeville to make the three-hour trip to Lexington, which at that time I had also never been to. I distinctly remember my aunt pointing out a green tinned roof building and telling me that was where we were going. She even called it the Land of Oz. And honestly, to me, it really was. I remember the smell that day, a smell I often craved to remember simpler times. I spent half the day in that bookstore with her, and we probably looked at every single book in that place. And we each left with a pretty large stack. She let me get every book I wanted, and on the way home, I got carsick reading The Wind in the Willows. I'll never forget that day, and now at almost 31... I still find peace and solace in the walls of Joseph Beth Bookstore. That love followed me to college. I tried to force myself to be a biology major, but after my midterm, I quite literally ran to change my major to an English major. As a result, I spent countless hours in the school library reading and writing papers. Because of this, I see myself as the victim of today's case. She was a book lover and was eager to learn. She found peace in the library, but one day... That piece was stolen. This is the story of Betsy Ardsma.
Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the case will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, and to follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Because as these families know, conversation helps to keep their missing family member in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Um, so Allison, before we get started, um, have you loved also reading all the results of the Are You Like Maggie or Allison game that we played on the uh, bonus episode? Yes, I know. I I don't know why I'm so entertained by it, but I, I really want to know like <laughs> which one of us, all of our listeners are like. Yeah, I checked that post, like, obviously, well, not today, the 4th, because, you know, Facebook right. was down for, right. like, all day. All day. But most days, I check it at least twice to see if anybody else <laughs> has commented on it. I know. But doing that bonus episode was just, like, what my heart needed. I was so tired, and that was, like, the pick-me-up that I needed. Yeah, we laughed a lot in it. So that yeah. was and we read some sweet, sweet comments. So yeah. that was nice. It was good for the heart. Yeah. Like me, Allison, I think that you are going to share a lot of the same traits as Betsy in today's case. And as you all know, like this is totally random. Like my brain, sometimes I think like I really might have like dyslexia because sometimes like I can read things but then I like I know what it says but I cannot say it like I'll say it backwards and like I don't know I'm just weird and I do not want to call I know this says Betsy but I yeah. want to say Nancy why why do, why am I the way I am <laughs> like I know it says Betsy but every time I see her name I have to like really tell myself okay you have to say Betsy now <laughs> So if I say Nancy, just correct me. Okay. I got so, you. So anyways, you are going to have a lot of similar traits as Betsy because you and I are a lot alike. Yes. Um, so I'm going to give you kind of like some background on Betsy before we talk about like what happened to her. Okay. So Betsy was born like the second child of four children. She was born in Holland, Michigan to Esther and Richard. Um, her family would have been considered middle class. Her father was like a sales tax auditor, which kudos father. I worked at the Kentucky Department of Revenue for like two years of my life. And it is quite literally and figuratively taxing. It's a <laughs> lot. I, got, I caught what you did there. <laughs> yeah, it was punny. <laughs> but he worked um, for the sales tax auditor at Michigan State's Treasury Department. Her mom, I read at one point, was a school teacher. Uh, but I think for the, yeah, represent. But I think for the majority of Betsy's life was a homemaker. Okay. Betsy was raised in a religious conservative household on West 37th Street in Holland, Michigan. Okay. 
Um, very much like me during her childhood, Betsy could be found writing poetry. And I did, I that did too. this. Did your mom, like my mom, y'all, she, she's such a good mama. Like today she was like, you're just so capable of anything. You're so talented at so many Aww. things. And I'm like, you the best mom. Right. Like I need but, to call you more often. Yeah. But like she literally kept all of these poems that like would probably make me cringe now Aww. looking back on them like I'm sure she thought I was going to be like a child poet prodigy <laughs> she like kept all of them she I has them like that. in a little folder I um, love that I'm sure they're cringe worthy but that love for poetry has always followed me I force it on my students in the classroom <laughs> <laughs> so but very unlike me and I think unlike well, you have really pretty, like, handwriting, but Betsy could draw. Like, she was a really talented artist. Oh, yeah. yeah. From all accounts, it seemed that for the time, because Betsy was born, like, in the late 40s, mm-hmm. she developed somewhat liberal views. And I do have to say, like, liberal for 1940, 1950, and 1960 is not necessarily how we would define liberal today. Uh, right. So liberal for her or in that time period meant that she like believed in equal rights for women. So like uh-huh. women's equal, equal pay and that she had a great concern for the poor and the underprivileged, which I think we should all feel. But that uh, was yeah, what they considered um, liberal at that time. Oh, yeah. I mean, my mom told me stories and I mean, she was born in the mid fifties. And when she was in high school, she told me that she got detention because she wore pants to school. Yeah. My aunt told me that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. Liberal then is far different than now. Right. And Betsy was a great student in 1965. She graduated Holland high school with honors. She attended Hope College in the fall of 65 and at that time had aspirations to become a doctor. Wow, that's really good. Yeah, and I don't know about you, but I definitely like kind of debated on what I wanted to do with life. Like I wanted to be a like speech pathologist, then mm-hmm. I wanted to be a lawyer, and then I wanted to teach. So it like teaching wasn't the first thing on my path when I was in college Mm -hmm. so like obviously where you went to undergrad is much different but Pikeville was a smaller college and so I remember going to the auditorium like I had already declared like my little biology major right because I wanted to be a speech pathologist and that's Uh what they had told me to do and so like I remember signing up for like all these classes with my little advisor that was like a chemistry man or something And so I took biology one and I struggled the entire time. I Uh just hated it. And when we took the lab midterm, okay, the bio two kids were in the same lab as bio one. So I guess like maybe some of them had to do a makeup or something. I don't know. Regardless, they were (laughs) dissecting cats. Oh no, Maggie. And I literally, because I had gone back and forth. So I had a professor, Dr. Freeman who I love. And she had talked to me like quite a bit about like, you should consider being an English major. And I was like, nah, yeah. 
Yeah. No, Dr. Freeman. And then like after that, I was like quite literally ran and changed my major oh, to English. This is the Dr. Freeman that we realized we both know because yes. she and I were in grad school together. Yeah. She's yes. like, she's the best. Yeah. Love her. And then like, yeah. sometimes we still meet up and I still call her Dr. Freeman. And she's like, you can call me by my first name now. And I'm like, no, I can't. <laughs> it's no, weird. I really can't. Which I've gotten better about it. But okay, I digress. So you so, saw them dissect a cat, which we all know, yeah. and especially if you listen to the bonus episode, how much you are an animal lover. Yeah. So then I was like, there's literally, I can dissect a pig. I did that in middle school. I cannot dissect a cat. Yeah. So I went and changed my major. Yeah. And Betsy too had a change of heart because she only stayed at Hope College for two years. And then she enrolled at the University of Michigan in 1967. And when she enrolled there, she enrolled to study art and English. I like that. I like that choice. Me too. I mean, I like it. financially, I get yeah. it wasn't the smartest choice. <laughs> right. But if it warms the soul. Yeah. Do what makes you happy. That's right. So at the University of Michigan, she did really well. Um, the university, obviously, at that time was buzzing with anti-Vietnam movements. Um, and it was known to have more liberal politics within the mm -hmm. school. Um, she quickly, though, found a group in which she felt she belonged. And that was with the Peace Corps. Mm -hmm. And while I think we both see ourselves in Betsy, this is like a very Maggie's mom thing. Like she's told me her biggest regret in life was not joining the Peace Corps. Like she wishes she would have done that. I think that was like a really big thing in this time. Mm -hmm. Because it talked about in some of my research that John F. Kennedy, like in an gave like an impromptu speech about like joining the Peace Corps to help poverty stricken nations in the third world. Mm -hmm. So like Betsy was ready to answer the call. Mm -hmm. Um, Just like most people do, she did drift away from some of her friends, um, you know, ones that joined sororities or ones that stayed back home. But she did keep in touch with many of her Holland friends via mail. Um, one quote about her said intellectually, or one quote she said, said intellectually, this place is not as alive as it should be. And she said that in a letter to one of her friends named Peggy in September of 1967. <laughs> so I think she was craving a little bit more than yeah. what was there. Intellectual stimulation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the time that she was there, she shared an apartment with three girls that she was friends with. And below them... And I can only imagine this was an apartment filled with four boys that were in the Alpha Delta Phi fraternity. So I bet mm -hmm. that their dorm was loud. Yeah. Um, one of them's name was David Wright. He was senior and pre-med. Which is met what as, she was thinking about. Yes. And they met as juniors and they were friends for some time. But by her senior year, um, she, they both just kind of felt like. They had a stronger chemistry than friends, and he became um, one of her, like, her first serious boyfriend. Okay. Yeah. They had strong chemistry? Yes, and he was pre-med. <laughs> yeah, see, I, I, I know. I tried to do it, too. It wasn't as funny. Maggie's the funny one. I mean, I just, I try. You're funny, Whatever. too. It's fun. <laughs> 
But um, they, she graduates in 1969. That same year, David is one of like 64 people that is accepted to the third, only the third class at Penn State College of Medicine in Hershey, Pennsylvania, home of the Hershey's Chocolate Factory. Uh, I've been there. I have not been there. The town smells like chocolate. Okay, see, the town that we moved from before we moved here smelled like bourbon. Which can smell good, oh, but sometimes it smells yes. bad. But I feel like if I always like lived near Krispy Kreme and I could smell that, I would just gain weight from the smell. Yeah. I know. I'd be like on the lookout for the hot yeah. sign. Yeah. <laughs> See it glowing through the window. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> gotta go. <laughs> Time to make a yeah. trip. Yeah. And even though her heart longed to join the Peace Corps, um, I don't think that she or her boyfriend, David, were very happy about spending a year apart. Like, she had already mm-hmm. um, been accepted and was, like, supposed to go to Africa. Had even told one of her friends, like, I can't be in your wedding. I'm sorry, but I'll already be gone. But kind of at last minute, she had a change of heart. So she decides to stay behind. And in one interview, David said, quote, she asked if I would wait for her and so forth. And I sort of selfishly said, I just don't know what will happen, end quote. I mean. Oh, man. I'd be heartbroken. Yeah, I mean, like, when I first read that, because, like, some of the articles said that David told her he didn't know if he could be faithful. And I was like, well, you're a jerk. (gasps) But then when I read this, like, that doesn't sound like that to me. That just sounds like, I don't know if we can last a whole year without seeing each other, which I do think would be hard. It is a fair statement, especially because they are young. I get it. It would still break my heart. Yes. And I do think she found happiness despite canceling her Peace Corps plans. She follows David to Penn State, and she actually enrolls in their graduate English program. And like her mama, she wants to be a teacher. Uh So she actually was on the main campus at Penn State, and he was on the Hershey campus. But it was like about 100 miles apart. So it's not like something that would have been super difficult to go back and forth to see each other. Mm -hmm. So she lived with her roomie, whose name was Sharon. And Sharon would later recall, like they lived in a dorm, that Betsy wasn't really involved in extracurricular activities and spent much of her free time studying and traveling to Penn State Hershey to see her boyfriend. But really, like, that isn't weird to me. I completed my master's online. You did your master's on campus. And I feel like Mm -hmm. being antisocial and like studying and writing kind of comes with the territory. Uh, yeah, my dad, when I was in college, literally called me all the time and he was like, what are you doing? And I would always say, I'm studying or I'm writing a paper or I'm sitting in my dorm I'm reading, or whatever yeah. it was. And he would say, go to a party. Like, that's pretty bad when your parent is like, go to a party. So I think you're right. I think it just comes with the territory. And also, like. I feel by the time you're in a master's program, like you already did the college thing. Like you already have your college friends. You're just kind of done with Mm -hmm. it and ready to get over like being in school. So I can see why she just didn't want to waste a lot of time, like doing extracurricular stuff. Plus what time of year? Or this is like, right. Like, is this story taking place? Well, um, like what happens to her takes place around Thanksgiving. So she'd been at school for okay, like so eight like, weeks or something like that, I'd say. But like end of the semester. Yeah. Almost. Yeah. 
because that's in like early December. And I know when I was in grad school, all of my classes ended with a 20 page paper. Mm. So, you know, I mean, you're, if you're taking like four classes and you have four 20 page papers, that's a lot. Well, I low-key feel like, feel like the master's program that I was in, I just had to pay a lot of money to get like a diploma. Like it wasn't super mm. challenging. I mean, I'm not complaining because it made me certified, but like, I'm just saying like, it wasn't super challenging. (laughs) Well, I'm talking about my master's in English. Yeah, that I feel like would be a whole different thing. This was just like a master's in teaching. So I was just learning teaching theories. Right. Yeah. According to several reports I read, by Thanksgiving of that year, Betsy was showing signs of stress and like, duh, and had told people yeah. that she had fallen behind on an English paper, which had she really okay. or was she just stressed? Because I feel like we say we're behind well, on things yeah. when we're maybe really not. We're just feeling the pressure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And according to one article, she spent the day prior to Thanksgiving in the company of her boyfriend his roommates, and their girlfriends. She went back to her dorm the next day. So remember, her family's in Michigan. She's in Pennsylvania. So, like, I could see her not going home, especially if she's feeling overwhelmed just for a long weekend. Mm -hmm. Because she, like, had intentions to meet with her professor to talk about the assignment. And David actually drove her to the bus stop on the afternoon of November 27th. Betsy arrives safely back to campus and, you know, immediately begins working on her paper. On November 28, 1969, everything would change. On that day, Betsy and her roommate left their dorm to go to the Penn State Library to find resources for their English papers because, you know, okay. this is 1969 yeah. and in that time, right, you can't do you can't Google things. Can't do Google. Yeah. So, once the two get to the library, they actually separate, Um, but before they separate, they make plans to meet up to go to a movie that afternoon. So, she's doing some self-care. Yeah, that's a good plan. Yeah. So, around four, Betsy spoke with her professor about the assignment. After meeting her professor, she runs into two friends. They briefly talk, and she goes into the library. And now, this is something I had never heard of. I mean, it's not like super big to the case i just was like this is weird but betsy goes to the library and puts her purse jacket and book inside like the corral that was assigned to her before she heads to the card catalog well now i know so when i was in england in one of the libraries there where i studied you couldn't take like all kinds of personal stuff in you'd have to Uh like leave it so i don't i don't know i mean i i have been in a place that does that but that's the only place i've ever been in where you had to like leave your stuff somewhere oh see like when i was in college it was basically just free for all and you grabbed the room or the little the table or whatever that was open you just plopped your crap down and hope nobody stole anything while you were looking at your books (laughs) (laughs) um but regardless betsy puts her things down and then she heads down a flight of stairs to the level two core stacks around like 4 30 so she's going to the basement and you all have heard allison and i talk about how scary schools can be after dark when you're there alone and the hallway lights turn off yep but i feel like that even can't compare to the basement of a library Oh, I'd be terrified. When I was a freshman, I was a tutor to the football team, which was horrific in and of itself. 
but we tutored in the basement of the library. There were very few windows, if any, in some of the rooms. And, like, after tutoring would end, like, we would have to clean up and, like, turn the lights off and everything. Some of the scariest times of my life. It's scary. Scary. Because you feel trapped. Mm -hmm. I felt like Michael Myers was going to jump out and murder me. We know that on that day, Betsy was wearing a red dress with, like, a white sweater under it. Because, remember, it's November and we're in Pennsylvania, so it's cold. Right. The final sighting of Betsy was a few minutes before 4.30 when an assistant supervisor saw her down in level two. And according to him, she was alone in an aisle with two young men talking quietly in, like, a nearby aisle. Approximately 10 minutes later... A man named Richard Allen would report that he heard a male and female having a conversation down on level two in the general direction of where Betsy had been standing, like operating the photocopier, which is honestly brilliant and something I never would have thought of to make photocopies of only the pages I needed instead of checking out the entire book. Right. Genius. <laughs> or sitting there for hours taking them. Yes. But he yeah. doesn't recall to investigators like that either party sounded upset or angry. But minutes later, he heard a crashing sound and saw someone who appeared at the time to be a student run past him. And we hmm. know that it was then that Betsy was actually murdered. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. So with a crash, was it like an accident? No. Oh. So according to okay. So according to the History Channel, sometime right before 5 p.m., a man walked out of the library and told the desk clerk, which this is creepy, quote, somebody better help that girl. And the desk clerk, like, <gasps> didn't really know what that meant, and kids are weird, so she just continued doing right. what she was doing. But then... Right, because you'd be like, what girl? Yeah. Like, what? And, like, I would be like, okay, you're cuckoo, but carry on. But um, soon after, fellow students find Betsy on the floor between rows 50 and 51 down on level two. And upon first glance, it appeared that Betsy may have like fainted. She may have just had a seizure. So students try resuscitating her. Okay. But Allison, remember Betsy has on the red dress with that super thick sweater. And that would actually Uh hide and conceal blood that was pouring out of Betsy's chest. Betsy had been stabbed one time in the chest and it had severed her pulmonary artery and pierced the right ventricle of her heart. How hard would you have to stab to get through your breastbone? Yes. Oh my gosh. And it appears so... A lot of people in the research that I read said that, you know, that she kind of stumbled back, obviously, after she was stabbed and that mm-hmm. books fell off the bookshelf, like, as she was falling backwards. That's the crash. And that's the crash that he heard. Okay. According to one book called Who Killed Betsy and Covering Penn State University's Most Notorious Unsolved Crime, Two students observed a man running from the direction of the commotion, concealing his right hand and also exclaiming, that girl needs help. And they would describe... Well, if he's hiding his hand, he's probably hiding something in yes. it. Yes. And they would describe him as being dressed in khaki slacks. He had a tie on and a sports jacket. 
which again, like this is a different time. Right. That's true. Like, people weren't showing up in the library in their jammies and their house shoes. Which is what we do now. Yes. Um, and they also said he had well-kept brown hair, was about six feet tall, and probably weighed about 185 pounds, and maybe had been wearing glasses. So the individual would lead the two like further into the core where he pointed toward uh -huh. the body of Betsy laying between scattered books and the metal shelves, which had been knocked loose. So one of the kids checks for Betsy's pulse and the other one like f tries to follow this dude out of the library and like follows the guy up the steps. But then the individual starts running and they lose uh. the guy in all of the commotion. And obviously, if you don't have something to do with it, then you'd be sticking around trying to help. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't run away. Yeah. And in an article on the Pittsburgh Press, a call was placed to the campus hospital around 5.01 p.m. So all this happens pretty quickly. And responders are initially informed that a girl had fainted in the university library. Two student paramedics were dispatched to the scene, just arriving a few minutes later, and Betsy was quickly placed on a gurney and removed from the library down the service elevator to be taken to the health center. Um, paramedics actually would continue to perform CPR mm -hmm. because, as I mentioned, the red dress and the thick sweater concealed the stab wound and was soaking up oh. the blood. So I don't think that they really knew the extent of her injuries because I feel like uh -huh. if your artery has been severed, you probably don't want to be doing CPR. Yeah, probably not. Um, but Betsy had also urinated as she fell. And because of this, that's why a lot of people said that she had either fainted or had a seizure. Oh, that makes sense. But when she gets to the hospital, one of the senior medical doctors immediately orders the CPR on Betsy to cease um, and cuts her blouse open. And that's when they find the single stab wound and she is pronounced dead at like 519 p.m. Wow. And all of this is happening like these are daytime hours. It's not yeah. like she was at the library at two in the morning. And she's in a public place because she's in a library. Wow. Pennsylvania State Police mm -hmm. were very quick to respond to Betsy's death. They sent 35 state troopers to campus. They actually, like, took posts in one of the buildings on campus. They conducted hundreds of student and staff interviews. They searched the entire campus. They offered a $25,000 reward for information leading to an arrest. But despite those efforts, police made no real headway. Now, I did read... And $25,000 then, that's a lot. Yeah, um, I did read that the two individuals that found Betsy were able to give police um, a sketch of the man. Um, each one, like, gave a description. But that's really about as far as police are able to get. So, on a normal Friday, because mm. this is a Friday that this happens, close to 400 people would go in and out of that library in the time span that Betsy would have been in there. Oh, gosh, that's a lot. And not necessarily like they're in there checking out books, but like maybe just using it as a shortcut or something like that. Right. But on that day, because it was a holiday, only 90 students had been in and out of the library because there's okay. not as many people. That's doable. Right. So yeah, they narrow down the pool of potential people, but they still 
name, no spe- no suspects, no persons of interest, nothing. Uh. According to Who Killed Betsy, uncovering Penn State University's most notorious unsolved crime, I did read that a knife was found behind some bushes outside the recreation center, and like that had been the direction that the dude ran out of the library, but it wasn't found until like 1970, which to me is kind of crazy. Months later. Yeah, so by the time they find it, like physical evidence was gone, anything like that had eroded. I feel like Mm. the past few episodes, we have talked about this and it's kind of frustrating, but um, Betsy's crime scene was compromised. Oh, man. Because before police were able to make it back to the library, remember, she left the hospital as a girl who had a seizure or fainted. Right, not a girl mm-hmm. who had been stabbed. So, oh, so they're not even thinking. Mm-hmm. They're probably picking up books and yeah. Before police make it back that. to the library, the scene where Betsy was killed is like spotless. All the urine's been wiped oh. up. The books are back on the shelves. Like everything's been restacked. The tiles have been cleaned. So they pretty much have nothing. They were uh, able to find, like, some small droplets of blood that matched Betsy's blood type leading into the level three part of the library. So police kind of assume that this is the way the killer must have went. Yeah, like it dripped from the knife or something? Yeah, because yeah, it said, it's like, small droplets. So I just picture it, like, mm-hmm. dripping off of something. Mm-hmm. Police are able to determine that Betsy probably knew her killer as she was stabbed, like as facing someone. She's believed to have known them for multiple reasons. So, one, she's stabbed like head on. Two, mm-hmm. the aisles in the library in this section were so close together that if someone wanted to pass, like both people would have had to turn to the side to be able to fit. Oh, you couldn't have passed like side okay. to side. Uh huh. So she was heard talking to someone that was a man, and both seemed calm, not like they were mad at one of the like each other. Oh yeah, because the one the one person reported that. Yeah, and so police take and it was just a conversation. Yeah, and police take that that she's talking to someone calmly, just in a normal conversation. Um, that she was stabbed from the front, all as she must have known this person that killed her. Okay, but we've literally not even heard of anybody who would have a problem with her. Well, we're going to talk about that next. So we have a couple different things we're going to talk about. Okay. So today we're discussing theories as to why Betsy was potentially killed and then who may have killed her. Okay, got it. So one theory, so we're going to talk about why first. One theory early on was that Betsy had been stalked in a source called 45 Years Later, The Unsolved Murder of Betsy in the Penn State Library. Um, It says, extensive research and questioning also led investigators to discount any possibility that she'd been stalked and she had not been expected to be at Penn State that day, but with her boyfriend, who was quickly eliminated. Moreover, although Betsy had recently expressed concerns about potentially becoming a physician's wife and a mother while still young, none of those entries were in her diary. So the letters 
like so they read her diary they read letters to her boyfriend none of the things Mm -hmm. in that quote were like really expressed in her diary or the letters so like they rule out stalking because people wouldn't have known that she was going to even going to be at school that day because she was supposed to be with her boyfriend but when she was overwhelmed with the paper came back to campus okay so then that same quote also talks about that she was kind of feeling stressed out about potentially becoming a physician's wife and like having kids well i feel like anybody at betsy's age that's a lot to kind of think about like getting married right starting a family yeah and that like in that same source it says that like she didn't talk about that in her diary and i feel like that would be the one place you would really talk about it if it were how you were feeling mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so she never talked about anybody that made her feel uncomfortable um she was obviously in a committed relationship with david She never talked about that she was interested in any other guys in her diary. She never talked about that she felt uncomfortable or intimidated by anyone in the eight weeks that she'd been to school. So investigators Mm -hmm. rule out the stalking theory. Okay. A second theory, which to me, I just can't wrap my mind around. Okay. Is that Betsy may have stumbled upon sexual encounters in the library like between because first somebody heard two men talking so are we talking like well to me it's encounter to me it's disturbing either way that you would have sex in a library regardless Uh, you're having sex with Uh, yes but um yeah it is believed that she stumbled upon like two men engaging in sexual things or perhaps a man engaging in like some fantasies with magazines oh yes so by himself yes okay because like apparently this was particularly common in this part of the library oh so in that same is it because it's like secluded yeah i think so and like i don't think it would be because i feel like all libraries like the basement part is like very specialized like only certain people are going to be down there it's not like the general books or whatever you know what i mean right yeah so it was pretty common apparently in that part of the library so in that same article the who killed betsy article um it actually talks about that police stumbled upon a half empty can of pop and a small stack of both heterosexual and homosexual pornographic magazines and some of those dated as early as november of 1969 oh another article that i read and like when i went back to actually quote it because it was really interesting um i must have read it and not put it in my research but it talked about the copious amounts of semen when they ran a black light over the area that showed because i guess this was just like what people did in this part of the library oh my so it makes me wonder like if dna testing had been a thing back in 1969 would we still be having a conversation of like who betsy's killer was 
Right. Or with this sounds legitimately like a good theory. Yeah. Like she stumbled upon somebody. Now I don't know why they wouldn't just get embarrassed and like yank their pants up and like go to your dorm. Leave. Yeah. Um but yeah, I just think like I said, the whole the whole sex in a public place is something I don't understand. Yeah. They were able to find partial fingerprints from the can of soda, but the prints didn't match with any that police had on the database at that time. Um, and then, obviously, mm. fingerprints on the magazine would have been numerous and were smudged and, like, not something that they would have been able to lift. Right. I also read, this is very Harry Potter-esque here, that police found, like, later on that somebody had carved into a desk that was there here sat death in the skies of a man <gasps> and then the initials rsk i'd be figuring out who rsk is i'd be going to i'd be going through my I'd be checking student the, list that's what I was gonna say. but i'm wondering if it's like somebody wrote it like later after betsy had died like you know, because they think that's where they sat, or if this is like a potential, mm. like, kind of confession. Right. Who knows? So, other less likely possibilities were that she was murdered by an angry suitor. But um, remember that David was like her first serious boyfriend. They talked about getting right. married. Others say they think she witnessed a drug deal and was killed to keep quiet. Others think she was murdered. Yeah. I mean, that part I could maybe see as well yeah others think that she was murdered because she owed like a drug lord money which does not fit her personality at all and no. nobody close to her ever said that she did drugs some people were so like i guess kind of bent on pinning it somewhere that they said mm -hmm. that the zodiac killer or ted bundy could have been who killed her at that time, there was somebody, like, like in the Michigan area that was killing people at college campuses. I don't remember now. I mean, Ted Bundy did, like, go into a sorority house and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, he tended to go for, like, the women that had, like, long, straight hair. But I think both... But I thought Zodiac Killer was in, like, California. Yeah, and both of those have since been proven false we're gonna just x those out so there have been from what i read three main theories as to who many think may have killed betsy so the first one is william spencer in the who killed betsy article spencer was about 40 years old and had relocated to pennsylvania from boston with his second wife right before betsy was murdered he had previously co-founded like this business with his first wife in New York in like May of 1960, but had relocated with his second wife because he was teaching sculpture at a local college while his wife studied to get her PhD. So he has relocated. So, I mean, at least he's teaching like art classes. This could be somebody that she came into contact with. Yeah. And William was um, first reported to police as a potential subject, subject suspect in Betsy's murder <laughs> after allegedly confessing to, quote, 
killing that girl in the library at a Christmas party in 1969 oh. to other faculty oh. members. Like, Why would you say that? Like, one, I don't think that's something you joke about. No. Two, like, I hmm. feel like if you weren't an experienced killer, maybe that is something that you would need to get off your conscience and you would think because everybody's drunk, you're just going to say it at this Christmas party. Yeah, that's that's a weird comment. Yeah, and he actually would eventually be formally questioned in 1970. And according to William, he says that he and Betty were acquainted because this, I was like, who are you even talking about, sir? Because Betsy had agreed, supposedly, to pose nude for his sculpting class to earn extra money. What? Hmm. Like the same Betsy well, winning the Peace Corps and like was raised in a religious household. I mean, but she is very liberal in her thinking. Yeah. This is the 60s. So this is like the, you know, sexual revolution. Maybe, maybe because she is artistic, you know, maybe she didn't see, right. or maybe she just didn't even see it as a yeah, sexual so I was thing. Say, like, she just saw it as art. It's just art. Yeah. Yeah. But I never read anywhere where that was proven to be true. Um, mm -hmm. he reported that he had been in the level two area at the time of her murder and had seen the murderer whom he insisted was wearing an overcoat, like run from the library. He actually offered, um, to construct like a bust of the individual for investigators and he later would provide oh, that. That's weird too. But I thought that was also weird. And I did read, and I forgot to say that. Most of them, not most, all of the models that posed for his classes were people from out of town. Like, they didn't use people that lived in town. Mm. So. I also think it's weird that at a party, he would say he killed the girl in the library. And then later, he's saying, I saw somebody who killed her in the library. And if you're at a party... And you admit that you know Betsy. Why would you say I killed that girl in the library and not call her by name? Right. Like, all this is sounding a little too weird to me. A lot of people say because he only lived in the area such a short time, like, how could he have really gotten to know Betsy as close as what he was saying that he did? And it was never mm -hmm. really proven that he did get that close to her. Second up yeah. is Larry Marr. Larry was also a student at the time. He was one who initially kind of gained the interest of investigators because he was a classmate of Betsy's. And Larry okay. is known to have been acquainted with her in the weeks before her death, like even specifically bringing her coffee on one occasion. So there wasn't really any like ill feelings toward one another that I read. Um, Larry was cleared as a potential suspect in her murder, but we don't know. Again, I guess not that it really matters if he actually passed or failed a polygraph test. Right. Um, he was blonde of average height. He didn't wear glasses. He did not match um, any of the descriptions given by eyewitnesses. So mm -hmm. they kind of just dismiss him. As being involved. Right. So the last person we're going to talk about is a Penn State professor. Hmm. 
And at the time of Betsy's death, he would have been about 25 years old. He was a geology student. And according to my research, he would often have relationships with women to conceal his homosexuality. Because remember, like in the 60s, it was very hard to be an openly homosexual individual Mm -hmm. in society. Like that was Mm -hmm. not something that employers favored. So I think just for this man, he felt that it was better for him to hide who he truly was, though that is sad. Mm-hmm. I read that on one occasion in 1968, he traveled from Pennsylvania to Massachusetts to inform a girl he barely knew that he loved her. And this will come into play like here in a little bit. So okay. he like arrived unannounced at her apartment to inform her that, you know, he was head over heels in love with her, to which she responded by slamming the door in his face. Oh, no. But, like, these types of patterns kind of continued. So, at the time of Betsy's death, this guy was struggling. So, he was often described as angry. He displayed erratic behavior. He was a suspect in stealing specimens from the university's rock and mineral collection. So, he just wasn't in a very good place. He also... Mm-hmm. Fit the description given at the scene. He could always be found dressed in khakis with a sports coat. He had brown hair that he kept tidy. And his friendship with Betsy had terminated via Betsy shortly before her death. Now, I said that his, like, yeah. And I said that his, like, relationship kind of, like, I don't even know what you would call that like I guess easily falling in love or whatever right was habitual he and several things said that he and Betsy were dating and they never dated yeah like yeah he was never mentioned in a romantic manner in her diary to her friends and so I don't know if that's maybe why she kind of started distancing herself from him but i would like if it was me that would be why i would say like we can't like you know we have two different goals in mind for this relationship right yeah where where this is headed yeah yeah he was also questioned by investigators at the time during that investigation he did admit to knowing betsy and socializing with her and he admits that one week prior to her murder she had ended their friendship he even so she could have been like the last straw for him yeah because i mean he's already angry erratic yeah and like i said he even in that interview said that she was his former girlfriend when she wasn't yes and mm. he does not have like an entirely clean record like in the 70s he which I say like that's the super long time after this happened to Betsy, but it's not. But in the 70s, at some point, he actually went to court for um, like deviating sexual intercourse and corrupting the morals of a 12-year-old boy. <gasps> 12-year-old? Yes. Yeah. But like he gathered several like high-profile investigator or not investigators, character witnesses, and the trial ended in a hung jury. And he received, like, minimal punishment for that. I think of all the options 
that one does make the most sense because it gives a motive. Mm-hmm. Like the others, again, like if she stumbles upon somebody, like I, I would think there would be more embarrassment and you probably would have heard something more. You know what I mean? Um, Like an argument yeah. or a, I, I don't know, raised voices or something. Mm-hmm. But like there could have legitimately been a conversation between Betsy and and that professor you know what i mean which if, i don't think he like, was a professor just, at the time he was a student, right right yeah. right geology student yeah. um and so i mean they could have just been having like a regular conversation and then it came out of nowhere yeah. you know or, or he well, could have been like said, no why why have you quit talking to me right. like i really have feelings for you and when she's like i don't feel that way that's like the yeah. end for him and he just stabs her yeah I think that makes the most sense. Over the years, Betsy's murder has turned into a myth or even an urban legend. Most students attending Penn State have never even heard of the girl who sadly died among the rows of books. Those that have, have degraded her death to be no more than an explanation for the weird things that happen in the university library. That her ghost is responsible for the things that go bump in the night. Sleuth hounds, this is why we talk about these cases week after week. We have to keep the true memory of these victims alive. Betsy didn't run. Betsy didn't scream. Betsy knew who her killer was. Is it possible that someone listening knows too? Anyone with information that might help is urged to call state troopers at 814-355-7545. Again, please like and join us on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and to see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Or you can always email us suggestions to Coffee and Cases Podcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so that more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. week.